0: if you've got a Bible, quickly turn there with me to Galatians chapter 6. Anyone here like the book of Galatians? Two of you, good. (laughs) Galatians is a phenomenal book. It's a complicated book. Paul, uh, who wrote this book, was a genius. And uh, so sometimes, maybe it's just me, but I have trouble kind of keeping up with him because his his processing and his thinking was so incredibly brilliant. However, someone I think said, I I think so, that the mark of a true genius is someone, um, can I grab some water from someone at some point? Um, Mark of a true genius is someone who can make something that is at one level complicated incredibly simple. A true genius is someone who can make something that at one level is really complicated but actually break it down so it's very, very simple. And I think when you come to the end of the book of Galatians, and we're going to look at from verse 11, Galatians 6 verse 11, what you find is this, is that, thank you my friend, I don't know if this is true, but it's almost like the flavor of the book at this moment is is like he's coming into land, Verse 10, you almost get the sense that this book, this letter that he's writing to these churches, uh, that it would be in modern day Turkey now, that he's planted. It's almost like he's about to finish. And then suddenly he has this kind of like brainwave. And look with me, verse 11, he says, See with what large letters I am writing to you, with my own hand. And it's in these in in last few moments, just when perhaps his PA, who's been writing the letter, is just thinking, okay, he's finished now. Suddenly, this lease of life comes into the apostle Paul. And if you've looked at the, the previous chapters in Galatians and got very confused at times, it's like suddenly do you ever have those moments where you see it clearly? He finds one more way of expressing in the simplest ways, so simple that actually I could be wheeled out to your children's work and still preach what I'm about to preach. It's that simple. Can I have a ha- hallelujah? it is not complicated. After a complicated book, he comes in here and it's like he grabs the pen off his PA and says, I have this one final way of summarizing this whole deal of the gospel. And you could encapsulate all of it ultimately in one single word, boasting. You say the word boasting with me, Boasting. And what Paul is about to say, as he writes with large letters, I love that little kind of like added detail. It's like, I've gone huge font, you know, super bold, italic, underlined deal. He's trying to paint a picture so that you would sit on the edge of your seats. Literally, you're sitting there on the edge. Of, why is he saying, wait a minute, give me the pen. This is one simple way of actually summarizing everything I've said. And that for someone who is not the cleverest person like me, that gets me excited. I'm thinking, what is, he, what, what is he about to say that is so simple and clear and resounding that he says, I want you to understand even the way I'm writing this is important. These massive block capitals. He's saying to this church this, and he's saying to you, Radiant Church, 2,000 years later, exactly the same question is that you can summarize the whole of your life, really, with this one question. Who, who really do you spend your life boasting about? Now, you all know the right answer to this, okay? You've all been to Sunday school, so I'm going to say one, two, three. What's his name? Jesus. We know the right answer, but what he does so brilliantly, simply, and yet penetratingly in these final verses, it's like he says, if there is one thing that you take away with you for the rest of your week, o, Ch- o Radiant Church, it's this. In your life, you will, and let's just define boasting for the sake of simplicity in a hot day, let's just define it as this. It's at least two things. If you boast about anything, right? It's what you think what you think about, And what you speak about. You could say a lot more. You could say boasting involves what you get excited about, what genuinely captures your imagination, what gets you out of bed in the morning. But let's just, for the sake of simplicity, define it right down. What I boast about is ultimately what I actually think about. And when push comes to shove, I most often speak about. And what Paul says is this, is that you ultimately can spend the whole of your life really functionally thinking about and speaking about yourself or Jesus. And I love this because it's so fundamentally simple. He's saying the reality is is that it's so subtle because... Most of you here probably would not think you are someone who boasts in yourself, right? I'm sure you wouldn't come to church on a Sunday morning if you thought, yeah, I I generally boast in myself. But what is so terrifying is, it is just so, so subtle. It's so subtle, and it's so devastating. And I love Paul. you don't know much about this guy, Paul, I love this guy, Paul, because he had the biggest ego in the world (laughs) prior to encountering Christ. And I use that phrase, he encountered Christ. He didn't simply make a decision, he encountered the raised Christ. He encountered him. And what that did in that moment was shift him from narcissism, self-obsession, iPhone, iPad, iPod.com world (laughs) to Christ. And he is, this Galatians is a fiery letter. But if you've ever been a parent or if you've ever loved someone, you know that out of passion for those that you love, you can't be ambivalent and laid back about the heart of the people you love. And these group of churches, they're no different to us. They had started pure. It's about Christ. They had had their version of what Paul had. They encountered him. They knew he was real. And then suddenly, these Judaizers had started to just come in. And it was so subtle. These were the bane of Paul's life. These Christians, but they're kind of into Judaism kind of as well. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. And it's so, this syncretism, this, this mixing of Christianity was, was ultimately about this. Who do you boast in? Who do you think about? Who do you get excited about? Because the fundamental point of being a Christian is as fundamental as this, is that just as when you fall in love, do you know what? You stop thinking about yourself, don't you? Anyone here ever fallen in love? Anyone here loved anyone? <laughs> You're a sad bunch. No, no. When you fall in love or start to love, this phenomenal miracle happens, which is self-obsessed Tom starts to think about Josie more and more and more. And even miracle of miracle, my wallet starts to follow that new direction. And my thought life and my speech and whoever I'm connecting with, it can be about anything. I'll bend my speech back to Josie. So listen, this isn't crazy. You might not be a Christian here today. You think you're Christians, you're saying that the secret to life is boasting in another person, thinking about another person. Every fibre of my American identity is about me, myself, and I. Thank you. About boasting about myself. About pushing yourself to your potential. Yeah. Oh, I'm touching some buttons now. You can feel it. <laughs> it's the same in Britain. So I'm going to push those little buttons today a little bit. I went to a school. I got a scholarship. I went to, you know, like, uh, uh, what's that film? With uh, Dead Poets Society. It was just like that. So, you know, it was, it was massive pressure. Six-day-a-week school. When I was 18, I had seven-day-a-week school. Phenomenal pressure. And the message that they pump out, which is the same air that you breathe is this. Make your life about yourself. You're, you are special. And if you can find just that thing that you're special in somehow, maybe it's being a mum. And you're just a little bit better than your other friends who you do love, but secretly you judge. <laughs> and all you're boasting is you're thinking about, your energies about, your worries are about, where do your worries find you? They'll, they will tell you where you're boasting, what keeps you awake at night, what makes you angry when it doesn't happen, not just disappointed. That's where you're boasting. That's where functionally your heart is being given to. And the subtle thing that is here and is here today is that they are good things. They are not normally bad, evil, boo things. They are beautiful things. They're partners. They're relationships. They are loved ones. They're your job. They're your house. They're your sportiness, your athleticism, your intelligence, your good looks, your comedy, whatever it is. The bottom line is, I love this Passage, because it's so simple. What do you think about? What do you speak about? If I was to ask your best friend, what would they say? She just, no matter what we're talking about, it's like Christ's always in her mind. And she's just, she's just, she's not trying to be holy. She just keeps bending it back to Christ, Christ, Christ. That's what he's getting at here. He says this, verse 12, it is to those who want to make a good showing in the flesh, ooh, who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. But even those who are circumcised don't keep them, themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Bit weird, bit confusing. What he's basically saying is, they're these people, and for them, the, the place that they boast is in people following their brand of Christianity. <laughs> it's a strange brand. It means you have to be circumcised men. That's probably not where you're struggling. You're not probably struggling with, I just boast in trying to get people to follow this circumcision version of Christianity. But I would put, if I was a betting man, I would, I would, I would bet... As it were, this morning, that you are at least in danger of subtly boasting, I thinking about, getting excited about, speaking about something connected in some way with you. And the reason I can be quite bold, even though I don't know most of you, is because I know that's that's my story. Two and a half years ago, I had a sabbatical which is basically a paid holiday. I mean, not a holiday, sorry. It's a a study break for pastors, a lot of serious study. Um, But I went into my sabbatical exhausted. And I thought I was going to have like a heavenly back rub. Well done, son. Seven years at the helm of the good ship, City Church. And he absolutely took me apart. And I didn't laugh a lot over those two months. It's actually when I first came to Visalia, in that time where God, through silence, solitude, stopping to network. I was running on adrenaline, not the Holy Spirit. Church was flying. I was Mr. Problem Solver. And uh, in that time, the Lord, the summary of all of it, really, was that he started to show me lovingly but firmly, that my, the things that motivated me, the things that occupied my mind, was not Christ, really. Not really. I mean, I, I, I had my devotions every day and I loved him, but the thing, if you were just to be like a camera in, uh, on my shoulder and watch me in an average week, the thing that really, the things that really drove my heart were, size of the church. And the church had grown, 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 grown and then stopped growing. And that occupied my mind way more. It wasn't because I loved people. It was because I loved myself. And God said, that, "That, if that is driving you, son, when you get to meet me, that will burn. That you giving your life to, it's not about Jesus and his glory. It's about your glory and it stinks. And in his great mercy, he began to again restore the fear of the Lord in my heart. In a way that is clean. And deeply, in a way, humbling. He, I led a massive student and 20s conference that was, for European standards, phenomenal. And in a heartbeat, it was taken away from me. And it didn't just disappoint me, it crushed me. We were going as a church for a uh, $7 million church building. We'd spent around half a million dollars in all the planning. And uh, at the very 11th hour, at the last moment after three years of working with the council, they totally did a U-turn. And I lost this massive international conference that I'd led for 10 years. I lost the building all within the space of one day. And there were many other things. I started to develop what's called IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, do you know that? So it's where you have crippling internal pain because of adrenaline and just, just living for myself. And for me and my wife, in different ways, the humbling continues. It was a very intense time. But I tell you what, I am more grateful to God for what he has begun to do. I'm not any, anywhere near finished. I'm just a baby in this stuff. Some of you have, have gone through things infinitely more. Infinitely more traumatic and difficult. And the reason, one of the reasons he does that is because he wants us to realize where we are functionally boasting, what we're thinking about what drives us, what we speak about. And just to be really honest, living in a nation like you do, America, which has shaped the world for what, 50, 100 years? You can't help. I mean, I love, I genuinely love your passion for this country. I wish British people were a bit more like that. They're so grumpy the whole time. Everything's wrong. Honestly, it's just boring. And you guys are like, we can do it. We can. I love it. I, I know, and I really do. It's one of the things I, and I, I really, really love that about your culture is the can do. Amen? Amen. You know it's a trap, don't you? Yeah, you're clever. But if you are alive and remotely sinful like me, there can be that line you cross, can't there? Just that subtle thing. And you live in California, a, sk- a cool state, you know. Sorry, can I say that? Oh, no, sorry. Just, yeah, but it is. It's, you know, and you're a part of an amazing church, and you've got amazing leaders. So you know what I'm saying? I hope, are you, is anyone resonating with what I'm saying is what I'm trying to say? I'm being as vulnerable as I can because the reality is when the Lord starts to show you what he was pleased. He, he is a father. He knew, knew what it was like to be all about Paul. And he just wanted them to be free. That's what it's about. The whole book's about freedom. It's not about condemnation. It's not about, oh, you, you're so, on, you're the only one in this hall who is guilty as Tom speaking. I'm not saying that. We're all prone to this. Okay? And it stings a bit. But listen, let me ask you this question. What is the Holy Spirit in this moment just underlining Maybe that you would be most prone to boasting in. Okay? You're probably already aware of it. That thing that, that it's a good thing, but you know that you could find yourself thinking about, speaking about, getting more emotional about, caring about has to happen for you to be okay. And what Paul says here is this: he says, verse 14 but far be it from me to boast. He's like, I don't go anywhere near that boasting thing. I used to be all about boasting about myself. That is who I, that's who I was. If you knew me previously, that's who I was. I was someone who cared about image. I cared about being cool. I cared about saying the right thing and being accepted by my friends and how many Facebook likes I got when I put something up and how many retweets I got. That's who I was. And now I don't care. And look at his language. But he says, what does he say? He says, far be it from me. That's aggressive language. He's like, don't go e- e- even anywhere near it. He's saying, saying, listen, if you're part of the youth and you're trying to lay these foundations for your life, hear these words. He's saying, more than ever, Satan is lying to you to boast in yourself, to promote yourself, to make sure that you are the center, that you are putting your best side forward, that your best front forwards, that you have a plan when things go wrong, that you are that person, that savior. And he's saying, it is lethal it will lead to pride or despair. The only two options, either when you're, you will either be filled with subtle proud pride like I was, or like despair like I was, and you pendulate. If I was to ask your spouse, or your friend, or your, your parents, do you go up and down a lot? That might be a sign that you started to boast. And fear grips us. And he says, so I don't go anywhere near that. However, except, I love this, except, ah, now there is one, there is one activity, one type of boasting, Radiant Church, I want to finish with. And I want to charge you with all of my heart to run away from the self-boasting. And you know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. He's saying a hundred applications, how you apply this. It's not rocket science. Run away from boasting in yourself, he's saying, and learn to boast, i.e. to think about, to speak about, to get excited about Not just Jesus, yes, but look at, he says, the cross, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I love that. He's saying, my deepest desire for the church in Galatia and for this church in Central California, my deepest desire, Paul is saying, more than being strategic, more than being intelligent more than having brilliant music, although we love that, and having great buildings, although we praise God for that, more than anything, he's saying, if I was to go amongst each one of you, would it be that in your own way, extrovert, introvert, quiet, loud, funny, serious, however you're hardwired, there would be this DNA in each of you that ultimately, really, you are about somebody else, that you Your whole of your being in your thought life and your emotion life and everything is more and more caught up with somebody else. Isn't that a crazy thought? That the way to find joy and happiness and to glorify God in this life is actually the whole of your emotional and your internal being is more and more and more intoxicated with somebody else. That you literally spend your week learning I love one of the ways he puts this earlier. In, in Galatians 3, he says at the beginning, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Do you see those words? He's not saying that Jesus was literally crucified in front of them. He would long done that. He's saying, when I was with you, it was like I painted a portrait. He was publicly portrayed through my preaching, O Galatian church, I, above everything, painted a portrait of Jesus crucified. That's what I did. Not just Jesus' life, although that was phenomenal, but his death. That his great central unifying passion, more than anything else that brings churches together and brings people together, is this phenomenal moment at Calvary where Jesus Christ hung on a cross and he bled, and he died, and he was butchered and tortured so that you and I never need to be. Hallelujah. It says earlier in this book, it says that he was cursed. Jesus was cursed. Why? So that you and I, say it with me, could be blessed. John Piper brilliantly puts it, he says, every single human deserves only one thing, judgment. That's what you deserve. You don't deserve a single breath. You don't deserve another heartbeat. You don't deserve a single good meal. You don't deserve clothes on your back. You don't deserve a single friend. You deserve, not every human, the Bible says, born into sin deserves only the wrath of God. And that's not unfair. It's not unjust. It's perfectly just. That is what we deserve. Judgment, nothing else. So how can it be that you and I in this room enjoy literally thousands and thousands of, of blessings every single day. How is it that that coffee in your hand, or that loved one next to you, or the smell of your child's head, or the the music that fills the room, or the freedom to actually worship without being persecuted? Where does that come from? The cross! Jesus was persecuted and he was cursed so that we could be blessed. Every time you slink into a nice hot soapy bath and you're like, oh, that's so good. That blessing was bought through the cross of Christ. Every single time you smell a beautiful smell, or you dive into the ocean, or you see some wondrous thing, it was bought at the cross of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! Every time! Every single time! Do you know it's phenomenal? Everything is connected to the cross. Everything's connected to the cross. You know, what I find amazing <laughs> is that for God to create the universe, cost him nothing. It cost him nothing. He just spoke. That's fairly impressive, right? He did not break into a sweat like we are doing right now. (laughs) He just went, boom, universe. Thank you very much. I mean, okay, Genesis 1 is a bit more complicated than that, but you understand what I'm saying. Listen, listen, this is phenomenal. To create the universe cost him nothing. Say nothing. Nothing. To sustain the universe by the word of his power, nothing. Nothing. It's easy. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Does it say in England? Nothing. Listen. For God to create a single new creation. For Him to create creation was nothing. For Him to create a single Bit of new creation. A single Christian, a single person whose heart no longer was rebelling against God and ignoring God, but actually saying, I believe in God, that God is good and He loves me. To, for God to create one Christian, do you know how expensive that was? Do you know how f- fully encompassing it was? Do you know how total commitment was required by God in contrast to creating the whole universe? Do you know what it required Him to do? To break into a sweat? No, no, no. To just create one. Christian, it cost him dying. For God to create everything, cost him nothing. But for him to create your heart that now is learning to go his ways and to love his ways and to follow his ways, it cost him dying. There's nothing more that God could have done in order to prove and to demonstrate his utter commitment to you and I being rescued. Hallelujah. I mean, come on. That's pretty amazing. You're American. You know how to get more excited than that. And so when you think, does God love me? Does God? I don't feel God loving me. Can I lovingly say, shut up? <laughs> our hearts and our emotions are the weirdest things. And we idolize them in these age. What do I feel? Well, I don't know what I feel, but what I know is that at Calvary, God died for me. I mean, even if he just lived this phenomenal, perfect life, God becoming a baby, living in a fetus, living in the Middle East, so that one day, people like us could actually look at God and go, that's what he's like. But he hung on a cross so that you and I could, for all eternity, be secured. Paul says, Please let your life be about that boast. Please don't be a Christian who half, half understands it and then gets obsessed with things that are important to some degree. But you miss the big picture, which is you have access to the greatest story that has ever been told or will be told. It's worth getting passionate about, even in California. It really is. This is the boast of Radiant. I want this to be your boast. I want this to be... The thing that is written, not on a gravestone, but you know what I mean. Kind of. Yeah. When you get to meet him, won't it be embarrassing if when you review your life and you actually look about what you gave your energy to, really, it was still about you. I don't want that for anyone here. And I don't want it for myself, and I do not want it for my children. Like it really, personally, my biggest passion for my kids, you know, I used to pray above everything for protection for my children. My biggest prayer was protection. We live in times that need that kind of prayer, right? Yeah, it's serious. Things are changing. This is serious. However, my biggest prayer is no longer protection. Because I can't protect them, ultimately. I would do everything. I would give my life for my children. But you know my biggest prayer is, now, for them? Is that Christ would be their boast. For Daisy, Lily, and Poppy, they would taste the reality of their sinful hearts and their need for a Savior. And that they would say, whether I'm academically good, bad, or rubbish, whether I'm good at art or rubbish at art, good at sports, bad at sports, single, married, have 50 kids or no kids, have a long life or a short life, ultimately, I want them to boast in Jesus. That's it. That is literally it. Because if they boast in him, if they think about him, if that's what your kids work and your youth work, and everything is centered around him. Knowing him, tasting him, genuinely believing that to be a Christian is not some intellectual thing where you sit on a pew and you just come and attend and you whack your money in. It's it's about encountering him. And that's Paul's deepest, deepest passion, is that you would boast in Christ. It brings churches together. You know that? Where we split over things that are not ultimately central. It brings people together. It means you can, do you know what, it, I love what Paul says here. He says, when you boast in the cross of Christ, he says two things happen. The world gets crucified to you. Hallelujah! What it means is the world, e.g. people liking you and caring about what you say, it becomes dead to me. It's like it's a crucified thing. If people liking you and approving you and what your parents think about your choices in life, or your spouse, if they if they shift from a part of things to dominating you, it's alive and well. That part of the world is far too alive to you. And Paul says, when I'm living with this massive picture of a crucified God, do you know what? My parents, or whoever it is that has that ability to control you, and to be too alive to you, or your peers and your f- the mums at the school gates, or the the, the guys in the youth, whoever it is. What happens is when Christ's story and his presence and his reality becomes this dominating thing of my life, suddenly the world gets pinned to the cross. I don't care anymore. I don't care. Can I, be I don't ultimately even care what you think of me. I love you, and I hope I'm being a blessing. But whereas I would have idolized that and lived for that, I am learning to boast in him and his reality. Because also, not only the world becomes crucified to me, he then says, and I have been crucified to the world. I'm not impressed with myself. You might not think much of me. I don't think much of me. I can't believe you've let me speak. Seriously. (laughs) You're crazy. It won't happen again. Do you understand? And this freedom, don't you want to be free? Don't you want to be free from the demonic lie that you're important? Ooh. You are loved, more loved than you can ever conceive But ultimately, eternity is not going to be about you. It's going to be about the lamb who was slain, about the one who gave his life, about the real hero. And the quicker that you learn in your life to bow the knee and say, ah, it's about you. You are my hope. You are the big deal of my life. Your life becomes rocket-fueled. And whatever you're doing, no matter how domestic, no no matter how seemingly unimportant, it is so valuable in His sight when it's done unto the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, when we get to heaven, there'll be lots of Christian celebrities who will be last. And there'll be many unknown people who will be first. Hallelujah. Because they knew what it was to quietly boast in Christ in far-flung places with no websites to direct themselves to them. Oh, don't you want to be part of a movement that together says, let's commit to kicking our own ego, our own narcissism, our own need to have leadership position and, and you know, a name on our, on our kind of front of our desk, whatever it is. Don't you want that just to be smashed in the head? Now, not another day. Now today. Today is the day of salvation. Salvation is ongoing. It's not just a once thing. Some of you right now as I'm saying this, you know that the Lord is saying to you, bow the knee today. Not because, not, and I'm not, I don't mean in like a hard way and I'm being mean to you. I'm doing it. It's the only path to true freedom. The way is wide that leads to destruction. But the way, the way to freedom is narrow. Few find it. But today I believe that these words of Paul are so simple and yet so sharp. He wants us to say, Lord, Lord, fill this place with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Tom. Your kingdom come, which means my kingdom go. (laughs) Yeah? should we stand to our feet? Come on, let's stand to our feet. I want to pray for us. We've run out of time. You know what? Great. Okay. Trav's going to find a guitar. What I want us to do is... And I really mean this. You have to have no, there is no pressure to do this. Okay? Let the world be crucified to you now. Don't care what people think about you. But if you do feel like today the Spirit has just been at work in your heart, you can say that genuinely. And you feel like, you know what, I have actually just be. I'm just too big in my own gaze. And I just start to taste afresh the bigness of Jesus. If you feel like I can say that, I'd, I'm just going to count to three. And for those of you in that camp, I'd just love it if we knelt. Just, just for a few moments, if you can kneel. Just going to kneel. Just as a physical act of saying, Lord, today on the, the end of July, I want to just say, Lord, y- you, your word is true. And I don't, I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to boast in myself. I want a fresh boast in this story. You know, that is the most valuable thing now that we can ever think about. So if you feel like that to you, just join me right now, just for a moment. And let's, let's, let's bow our heads, let's, let's kneel across the room.